0: Fundamentally, this fiber network is a, is city infrastructure. It's important infrastructure. That infrastructure is only going to grow and it's only going to become more valuable and uh, it's going to last uh, for decades.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. Just back after a whole bunch of travel, but excited to be talking about the city of Hillsborough uh, and the the fiber network there uh, owned by the municipality, uh, Highlight. So we're gonna have two guests today. And I'll explain in a little bit why I'm so excited because this is a network I've long been interested in. Uh, but we have Brad Nosler, the general manager of Highlight. Welcome. Oh,
0: thank you, Christopher. Good to be here.
1: And we also have Elizabeth Pereira, the senior customer support. Welcome.
2: Hi, thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: So I feel like, so I've been doing this for 15 years, and I remember when the city of Hillsboro had a feasibility study that said, oh, this is not going to work. And I looked at that and I didn't think it really provided a whole lot of, of insight. And I was I was hoping that the city would move forward with um, with uh, a little bit of a, of a plan that was perhaps uh, that would be suitable uh, for the city. And lo and behold, not only have you done it now, you've been doing it for several years. So I've been waiting in the wings to bring you on until we could talk about how it's going. And I'm excited to find out. Let's uh, let's just start from the beginning uh, with you, Brad. And if you just want to give us a sense of, uh, not necessarily like that way back to the feasibility study, but generally why the city is pursuing this, and also for people who don't live in Northwest Oregon, uh, where Hillsboro is.
0: Yeah, well, Hillsboro is uh, just west of Portland, about ten miles or so, and uh, uh, it's the fifth largest city in Oregon. Um, growing and could surpass Gresham, Oregon soon to become the fourth. But we're still the fifth largest city of Oregon. Very kind of high tech community. Um, Actually, the community has a bit of the on both ends. We've got some of the lowest income uh, census tracts in the state, but we also have some of the highest. And and, uh, companies like Intel, Intel has uh, some uh, very large uh campuses here in uh Hillsboro as well as other high-tech firms uh Genentech. nike's here salesforce has a big office so it you that's kind of the flavor of the of the city we have our own airport um so uh we've got um flights coming in and out uh but i will go back a little bit to the uh the feasibility study and and the, my guess what you'd call maybe the beginnings and uh full disclosure uh, both Elizabeth and I were at Comcast at that time locally, and I was p- particularly paying attention to the, what the city of Hillsboro was doing. And uh, frankly, um, I thought they made a wise decision when they decided to pass uh, after sure. that first feasibility study. As the story or history goes, it got revisited a few years later in the context of a large a very large housing development going in called, you know, in the Southern part of town, uh, creatively named South Hillsboro. And it's, which is going to be about, uh, at about when complete about 8,000 homes, about 20,000, uh, addition to the population of the city. And with all that construction work and trenches open, um, it was decided that that was a good time to move forward with the project because, uh, the construction there could be done at far less cost with, you know, uh, the trenches open as opposed to boring and drilling and, and doing the more expensive construction work. So that's when the city council revisited about 2018, they
1: proved it I feel like some of us oversimplify and feel like we could do it in an easy way then, right? Like when the grounds open, the, the the houses aren't yet built. It seems like we think of it as, we again, oversimplify and say easy. And I'm sure we can talk more about how there's still a lot of challenges to be overcome.
0: There definitely are. And it might be easier in some respects, but there's still challenges and there's still costs involved and there's still, you know, trying to. Find the contractors who'll do the work, and, and those are all challenges, um, whether the trenches are open or not. And we've experienced all those along the way, but uh, we did uh, move forward, um, and we didn't start. Well, we started working with the developers; they started putting in conduit and uh, for us through which fiber was later pulled. But um, we really started most of our construction in a in some of the lower income areas of the city, which is is kind of contrary to the way most fiber networks would get built, particularly in the private sector. they go to where they can start generating um, some cash flow and, and reinvest that to further the construction. We, there was a deliberate intent to dart in the lower, lower income portions of the city. And that was um, uh, done with the city's mission to increase connections within the city.
1: Right. We saw that in, um, in some other places uh, too. And, and I feel like, it's always worth, again, sort of that being totally upfront. There's pros and cons. It'll often increase the amount you have to borrow because you don't have the same uh, cash flow coming in in earlier phases of the project, and so uh, it puts your window out of when you're going to break even and and that sort yeah. of a thing. So um, there's, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like <laughs> sometimes decisions like that are made, and and some people uh, understand why, and it's not communicated to everyone, and that can be a yeah. challenge.
0: Yeah. And there's gonna be some um, financing challenges as we move forward too, um, as we try to expand throughout the the full city. Uh, over the last three years, we've uh, been constructing and phase by phase cabinet by cabinet and uh, rolling uh, activations along the way and launching in each of those areas. Uh, we're about 11%. We've built, built about 11% of the, of the city so far, but there's a long way to go.
1: I have to say I mean it's it's interesting to me you know that both you and Elizabeth are from Comcast the um uh the community that I most associate as being similar with you is Longmont uh, north of Denver yeah. which is yeah. also quite a high tech community but also has that that some of that mixed uh environment with uh with lower income uh census areas and so um let's just pause for a second on the story and and I'm curious why you both decided to move over to the city
2: I actually um had left Comcast so I wasn't I didn't leave comcast to come work at the city i was just i was no longer working at comcast and then you know i heard about this job and it was just interesting because it's something that you know i feel like it's really good for the city and uh to help the community and so i was like okay let's give it a try i've been in customer care for as long as i you know my whole career basically so um i managed one of the cable stores for for comcast so you know it just was a good fit for me i i feel
0: Absolutely. And Elizabeth is from Hillsborough. she lives in the community.
1: Oh, that's always good. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and similarly, I had already uh, left Comcast, and so it wasn't, as Elizabeth said, a direct jump. It was I had uh, had some time in between, and then uh, landed here.
1: And I think uh, is your telephone provider Frontier? It was Frontier. Uh, Frontier sold
0: a lot of their Northwest properties to a company called Ziply Fiber. Right, Uh, which uh, is run by some former uh, uh, folks formerly of Wave uh, Broadband. The main service incumbent service providers are Comcast, as well as uh, Ziply Fiber. Both offer uh, one gig service, so we are not breaking new ground uh, with regard to that. There's not been an issue of availability now in terms of you could make an argument. um, There's been uh, that we offer a different affordability mm-hmm. uh, consideration as well as uh, our technology obviously is new. Simply has all fiber broad, uh, Comcast doesn't. They have fiber, hybrid fiber to node uh, design. Uh, but we um, were 100% fiber broadband with, uh, and we're offering some speeds beyond one gig, not, and most people just find one gig completely satisfactory, but uh, uh, competitively with, uh, Simply and uh, Comcast, uh, we do pretty well in terms of uh, quality of service as well as portability.
1: And just to, to close the loop, the um, the other difference with Longmont is that um, several of the people running um, Longmont are from uh, CenturyLink's team previously. Yeah. So <laughs> certainly, yeah. you know, I mean, there's not a huge world of people in telecommunications. Uh, so <laughs> well, a lot well of them we, come from those companies. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I think it is wise for a small fiber Operations that are just starting up to really kind of look for people within uh, private industry experience. Um, Mm -hmm. It certainly served us well. Besides Elizabeth and I, we have a small team. All of us, but one came from Comcast. We've got, it helped us in devising our, our, um, coming up with our policies and practices and, and uh, daily operations. Uh, And, uh, so that I think that's that background has served us very well
1: and so if i understood then you've been building for 3 years you've got 11% um a passing of 11% of the of the city
0: that's correct yeah uh
1: and so how many uh, that's um i'm presumed that those are the where people can take service and um um yeah. and so i'm curious what are the some of the results how are people responding to the service that's available and this is uh, this is where i always love to hear like, some of the stories of just like you know that probably Elizabeth is collecting.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I'll I'll let Elizabeth touch on uh, some of those stories as well as um, kind of the customer satisfaction piece. And I'll just say that from a growth standpoint, you know, we're not growing as rapidly as we had hoped. Uh, you know, we're about 10%, uh, about 12% residential, about 9% in commercial in terms of uh, market share. Um, it, that's going to grow. In areas where we've been for uh, over a year, because uh, we're constantly rolling. So adding
1: mm-hmm.
0: more homes to the denominator of that equation. But in areas that we've been for more than a year, we're about 15%. Uh, in our very first phase, we're about 18%. And so yeah, we, we hope to get about 15 and then uh, possibly extend that over time to 20%.
1: We, well, we'll we'll jump into that in a second, but I would guess you're not doing a full-on marketing blitz yet because you would just marketing. be angering eighty percent of the town that can't get. We're it. not
0: marketing. Market. It's very targeted. Yeah, right. right. We're marketing, but it's very targeted. We're growing. You know, we we're operationally we're busy. We you know our team is, has a full workload each day, and uh, I'll just uh, beyond that standpoint. It is really how are those customers that do take our service evaluating their experience in the service, and I'll just let Elizabeth kind of touch on that.
2: So I think customers are really happy. They're excited that it's the city providing the service. Um, I feel like a lot of the customers have experienced maybe not so great interactions with other companies. And so I think they're looking for something that's more personable, that they don't have to jump through hoops to talk to someone. Um, It's someone local that they're talking to. So I think they're really liking that piece of it. And obviously, you know, the speed, um, the fact that we're symmetrical, and it's the one gig and above, right? I mean, that's it's awesome. It's awesome speed. The product is great. I mean, the customers are loving it there. We do get, you know, a lot of customers or, you know, residents, I should say that will call and they're looking forward to getting the service and they might be in an area that is not serviceable yet. Um, So we do get a lot of those calls as well, where people are looking forward to getting our service.
0: We don't have a big team and, and the people we are serving are right here in the community. And so I think I know they know uh, Elizabeth's name and our other customer service uh, support persons. They know them by name. Um, it co- shows up in the comments of our surveys that uh, it's great to be talking to local people and not having to go through a, an elaborate phone tree to, you know, some automated system that they can talk directly to us and they have confidence in that. With those surveys, we also have been doing our best to assess a net promoter score. Uh, to, so that we have a benchmark and can see how we're doing. And our net promoter score, yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it yeah. measures, yeah, yeah, negative 100 to Better positive. Better to be positive
1: 100. than negative. <laughs> yeah,
0: but it, the maximum is positive 100, but the minimum is negative 100. They're all right around 88 to 90.
1: Wow, to that's terrific.
0: Yeah, it's it's been overwhelming. And, you know, certainly we count on word of mouth from neighbor to neighbor uh, to vouch for us when they get us. And I think uh, a lot of that is happening.
1: Yeah. And I'm one of the things that, in my experience, uh, when you're doing that rollout, you do more like door to door in those neighborhoods. But it's probably harder to do since you, most of <clears throat> your work has been during the pandemic. So,
0: you know, and during the pandemic, the roughest part of that, frankly, was our technicians who have to actually go into customers' homes. Mm-hmm. And we had a whole protocol and and we, you know, had, a, had people sign a release to let us come in and you know, that kind of thing. But uh, in terms of promoting the service, we... We do go door to door, not knocking, but we do do door hanging and uh, to let people know uh, the service is coming soon to a particular area. And then when it's available, we post that too, that it's now available. We follow that up with mailers. And uh, so that's some of the the targeted marketing, I guess you'd say, to get the word out. We can't uh, really do large scale mass advertising. We've also participated in the summers um, in local community events. Mm There's a Tuesday night market, for example, that we, we've we done uh, several times, and that's a good opportunity to talk to people, whether they are in
1: serviceable areas or
0: are looking forward to it, as Elizabeth mentioned.
1: Well, there's a couple of things that I've observed, and one of them is that the building phase you're in is usually just incredibly challenging (laughs) and Mm -hmm. um there's things that go wrong every day there's so much to do you haven't generated enough cash flow to have the full complement of staff that you will ultimately have to to handle the workload so it's uh it's definitely that um that environment i'm sure of uh, people have um like you said your days are full (laughs) from a construction standpoint
0: yes uh you know even with the city, as a particular, we as a government agency, we have certain uh, purchasing and and procurement policies we need to follow. And trying to get more than a few um, competitive bids for construction has been a challenge mm-hmm. uh, with contractors. I know the contractors have been challenged with finding staff, supply chain issues uh, that started in the pandemic and have continued have uh, really made uh, ordering materials a challenge you, the wait times on things like vaults or cabinets or splice closures or fiber itself it's six nine twelve months out and that that can be a real challenge when you know people you want to finish an area and you're missing some component between the labor and the materials costs have not gone down right they've only gone up uh, in some cases considerably and and that has uh, also challenged that that was a that's been a big change since those early days when that um, the feasibility study first went out and the city first started considering doing well th-
1: and the part that I feel like people might not notice but I'm I would guess Elizabeth is is probably more aware of it is um, uh, that there's a bunch of things that I'm guessing Ziply and Comcast have done in response to you coming in the market that are giving people better deals than they might have if they were living over in, in Portland or in one of the other suburbs with a little less competition. Um, you know, I've, I, I'm more aware of this right now because uh, I've hit my cap for the past three months <laughs> uh, for internet access, and I'm guessing that your rivals don't have caps if they in that market. So there's all kinds of things that are probably um, your entry into the market has resulted in uh, some benefits for uh, residents in the area.
2: You know, it's interesting. We actually, I actually over the phone, we don't hear a lot about like the caps, right? We do hear some, but not not very often. Most of the time, what the customers are touching on is the price is we do have some you know some of the competitors that their prices have gone down and they're similar to what we're offering so that's about the only thing that I feel like I have noticed um, at least while talking to customers is um, the price point now the speed might be different that's the only thing right so they're not saving a whole bunch and if it's somebody that might not be using the full one gig, you know they don't care to get the one gig. Then two hundred meg is perfectly fine with them, and they don't care to stay at the fifty-five price.
0: Fifty-five dollars for the one gig is our price. That's our price. We don't have promotions. We don't have a special offer. We don't have, you know, that's our price. Whereas uh, the those competitors live off promotions
1: that right expire. So- so, I mean, I, I was just clicking over to look at your, your, um, the residential rates that you have. And so $55 a month for one gig. And how many secret fees do you tack onto that? None. That's, None. that's and, and that's and, remarkable, but people don't always appreciate that. <laughs>
0: no, it's, we try no. to keep it affordable and, and, and simple is the way the, they we approached our pricing. And, um, the only thing where there's any kind of, add-ons is that we do offer voice services and of course that comes with a lot of state and federal taxes which those are Mm -hmm. add-ons but that's only for the voice service for the internet no promotions no extra fees
2: yeah and that's always a a question is how much is it for the equipment rental it's included it's part of it
0: yeah we do offer an optional wi-fi management service that includes a router Um, but it's an actual service and it's $5 more. So if you wanted Wi-Fi from us, uh, the total goes to $60, but more than half of our customers use our own routers.
1: I'm sure Elizabeth, you've looked at other um, areas in the region, but we every now and then do a little survey of our data, just um, that we don't have enough time to go and collect tons of it. But in my experience, um, $70 a month is still pretty common for a gigabit or above from most providers. And so you know coming in at $55 a month for a gigabit as your initial offer to me uh it's really it's really quite remarkable i can only name oh probably less than 10 ISPs in the entire nation that are offering such an aggressive price so um you know and i, and I know that as someone who receives comcast marketing materials and i can imagine ziply um, I can imagine that that if you look at a brochure, it might look better. But um, I mean, the, man, the at this point, the the motor rental fees are like in the double digits for most of these companies. The um, just the extra fees and things like that—they really add up to the point at which my my frequent collaborator on on, on a video show we do called Connect This, um, a little silly show <laughs> we do. Doug Dawson—he surveys these prices and he does feasibility studies. And um and he keeps talking about how we are right at the doorstep. And in some communities we've crossed the threshold where the baseline service is a hundred dollars a month when you add up all of those fees and things like that.
2: Yeah, our customers really like that. That there is, you know, the fees are already included, that there's no extra tax and franchise and all that stuff. So it's really nice. I mean, I always obviously have to tell them about the phone, like Brad mentioned, but um, for the most part, I mean, most of our customers are internet-only customers, right? So they love that. That It's like if you are just getting our one gig, your monthly is literally $55. So they love it.
1: What are some of the other benefits to the community? Um, in particular, I'm curious about the... Um... Uh, one of the, the benefits that struck us right away was the low income, which again, I feel like, you know, you, I think you, you mentioned, I sense from you a little bit of a sense of, oh, I wish we were doing better financially, but most of the places we've seen, have waited years to introduce a low-income plan. You not only launched in a low-income neighborhood, you also provided a very aggressive low-income service uh, as well. So tell us about that.
2: Our bridge program, it's going slower than we'd like. I mean, we wish we were getting a lot more you know, bridge customers signing up. Um, I feel like recently, now that we've launched a new area, um, it has picked up a little bit, which is nice. Um, but yeah, the customers that, you know, call in and they're asking about the bridge service. I mean, they love it because with a lot of our, you know, some of our competitors, right. They also have a low income product that they offer, but it's the speed. It's like not even comparable to what we're offering. I mean, one gig, you know, for $10 a month is amazing. They also get the Wi-Fi management on, you know, with that included and they get free installation. So it's, it's an awesome product for those customers that might be you know struggling financially. they can look for jobs, you know go to, kids can do schoolwork, that type of stuff so yeah it's it's a great product that we're offering,
1: yeah, it team. is remarkable and i'm I'm sure that those sign ups we see that everywhere where it just takes a while to build that trust and for people to appreciate that that sometimes people have gotten suckered into things that look like that good of a deal but didn't turn out to be so they become wary over time.
0: We've partnered into in execute the program so that we're getting people qualified that we have criteria for participating and it's not just anybody can get it uh but we've uh worked with three community partners that serve as verification partners that the people go there get their um, qualifications verified and then it's pretty easy on our end all the partners just uh uh, send the email uh, over to our customer support team and we call them back and get them uh, signed up and connected. But um, the partners have been very valuable in this process.
1: Have you sought to get reimbursed then under the ACP, the Affordable Connectivity Program?
0: Not yet. Not yet. Uh, that's something we're discussing. When that, uh, The first version of the ACP, I forget what it was called. The, uh, the EBB. There you go. And now it's uh, ACP. I came out, we, we said, you looked at it and said, okay, it's first of all, then it was temporary. Didn't know if it was going to last. Um, Now it's a little more permanent, but we just uh, said, look, $10 for one gig. That's pretty darn good. I don't know how much better. The, all we could do is give them a $10 credit and make it free. Uh We certainly aware of the ACP. We, but we're, um, we came out for, before that we th- have a very good uh service and um, haven't really felt the need to start over complicating it yet. Now, I know Comcast with their internet essentials, they offer, I think it's 50 meg for um 999. And then they will put tack on top of that, the ACP credit, and I think net it down to zero for the customer. And that's something, you know, we could look at too. But, you know, there's, again, as Elizabeth pointed out, there's, they're only at 50 meg, Our, the value of a one gig connection, I think it can, kind of justifies Well, easily just $10. Well,
1: that and there's two things. One is I feel like there's a number of people for whom they don't want to get something for nothing. They want to be a part of it. And then on top Mm -hmm. of it, you would have to have a fair number of customers to actually make it worth it for you to do the paperwork of getting that reimbursement.
0: You are spot on. And that's been another one of my apprehensions about it is just jumping into it with the administrative rules attached to it. When we're already delivering something that's really string free, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not anxious to necessarily adopt the ACP in conjunction with the bridge service that we're already delivering.
1: So one of the the last things I'd like to ask you is just sort of, I'm not going through this myself. In fact, a friend of mine keeps trying to get me into the ISP game, and I'm not because I know how hard the work is. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So knowing that you're both dealing with that right now and, and the stresses of rolling out a system and expanding its footprint and everything else. Um, when you look at, at everything that you're doing, what makes it worth it to to stay and, and keep doing this as opposed to finding a job that might be less stressful? I've never had a job that's less stressful.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Yeah, I I really actually like working for the community. I mean, obviously I worked for Comcast before and I would say that that was stressful, Um, but uh, I am not stressed. I mean, I really enjoy being able to help the community and just to hear some of those people that are signing up for like, you know, the price point and they're like, Oh my gosh, I love it. Thank you for doing this for the community. You know, we do get that. So that, you know, makes, makes me feel good. So I enjoy working for the, for the city.
0: And I don't live here in, in Hillsboro, but I've gotten to know the community a little bit. Uh, what makes it fun for me is the fact that we two or three years ago kind of got our first small group of team members together and gotten a lot of conference rooms before construction ever really got rolling and and got to figure it out and got to apply what we'd taken from other jobs and other positions with other companies and and build something from scratch, which not often do you get the opportunity to build something from scratch. And I think the fact that we've not only built something from the beginning, you know, that we've all had a hand in doing, but that it's working and that we're actually delivering services to people that they like, starting with uh, from nothing, I think it's, it's, there's a lot of satisfaction in, in that. Um, but the other part of this, besides serving residents and businesses, is fundamentally this fiber network is a, is city infrastructure. It's important infrastructure. We don't only serve those residents and businesses, but it connects city buildings. We, you know, we've got city parks connected for the irrigation systems. We're connected with uh, other local agencies like Clean Water Services and the e- local E911 center, and there's a large community center and, and uh, a big convention center that's over by uh, the airport. And so um, that infrastructure is only going to grow and it's only going to become more valuable and uh, it's going to last uh, for decades. Uh, you know, technology does change, uh, but uh, fiber optics is pretty. Uh, you know, has a long life to it. So um, it's nice that we're providing a a service as an an ISP, but it's also uh, important, I think, for the community that we're also putting infrastructure in the ground that's going to have other applications that we can't even imagine down the road.
1: Yes, I I think that's so true. And that's what I get really excited about when communities are taking that step, because I do feel like we don't know what's coming next. uh, But one of the things that, that I feel like we know is that, many communities are at the uh, mercy of the existing providers uh and those providers um you know i'm i'm not someone who talks about how terrible they are because i think in many cases they're doing a good job uh but the simple fact is they have they look at the world in a different way than the city does. And as the city builds this out, and it's paid for by people that subscribe to it, you have all these interesting things you can do in the future as new technology comes available. As you want to offer free service, you know, in different areas of town, at mm-hmm. parks and things like that, it's it gets pretty exciting. I think
0: you're right, and I think one of the things, those learnings that we at least I have, I won't speak for Elizabeth or the other team members, is really trying to recognize, understand, and appreciate. The different way that the city thinks with regard to this investment, the way that you know, I had 34 years in on the private sector and I many a budget meeting to and understood what the values were and what the important things were. And there, in some cases, there's there's some similarities. In other cases, it's they come from very different different places.
1: <laughs> right. So. Uh, any last words, Elizabeth?
2: Just glad that you we were able to come here and talk about, you know, what the city of Hillsborough yeah. is doing for the community.
1: Excellent. Yeah. And no, I'm, I'm excited. And uh, I hope that others are taking notice. Um, you know, I, um, I don't know if you ever get together for uh, drinks with the folks from Sandy, but there's great folks over there. <laughs> and uh, I feel yeah. like these networks attract really interesting people. So uh, I Not really drinks, appreciate
0: we We have met with them a few times.
1: Yeah. Excellent.
0: And also, the neighboring community of Sherwood is also building out a fiber network. Oh, good! Well. I know they
1: they got started a long time ago, and then they were using it, but they weren't expanding it. But now they're expanding it again.
0: Yeah, to they were their original build was kind of more institutional and in business. Mm-hmm. Now they're expanding it uh, for residential as
1: well. Oh, yeah. So. Excellent. Well, I know there's a lot of other folks in Multnomah County that are hoping to see some expansion, and there's a whole political issue around that as they're working they, through those issues. So.
0: They did a feasibility study too, and and yep. I, I, again backed out and I backed down, and and frankly, like I, we started with talking at the beginning here, I I don't blame them, and I kind of applaud them for making what seems like a, a wise decision.
1: Yeah, I mean, but, let me so you have let me just put it out there. I mean, in my mind, what I think you ended up doing is what I had recommended. And maybe I'm just putting on rosy glasses here. But like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of these feasibility studies are like, well, how do we build out to everyone? And I think that's the wrong question. I think the question is, like, if we want <clears throat> to make a difference, where should we target some reasonable amount of money, not borrowing a billion dollars, but where do we target some reasonable starting place?
0: Yeah, perhaps. I think, though, when you talk about building a community, whether you, you talk about it, doing it immediately or over whatever period of time, you still are talking about eventually serving everybody everybody in the community, making it a service available. So you really can't do the Google model of building out fiber hoods. You've got to really plan to, if you're a public entity, serve the whole community. But my issue with a lot of these feasibility studies is they they write their questions in a way to get the answer that they want to have, which is, yes, we should do this. And, and I, I, you know, like you would, if if we could offer you a uh, service for less money, and you would take it, wouldn't you? Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. Who wouldn't? You know, say that. But it's like I I have over a couple decades of paying attention to these things. I have some skepticism on that whole process.
1: No, I I agree with that, and I think one has to be very careful in any poll to understand which questions are being asked and how people are answering them. Yeah. So. Wonderful. Uh, well, I really appreciate both of your time, and I look forward to seeing how this rolls out.
0: We look forward to continuing to roll it out, and we appreciate the opportunity to share the story so far with more story to come.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash bits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.